1: welcome to the more perfect union the podcast that offers real debate without the hate
2: from the right side of the aisle we have dj McGuire, a progressive conservative from suffolk virginia who was not a candidate for the cleveland browns head coaching job (laughs) We'll get to that a little bit later. I'm not sure that's true, DJ. Your predictions
1: have
3: not always been accurate, so I don't want to rule it out. And from the left, we have Greg Matuzak, a common sense liberal who knows that Goblet of Fire was the best Harry Potter book, (laughs) no matter what Rebecca says. From Cincinnati,
1: Ohio. <laughs> from Cincinnati, Ohio. And I'm Kevin Kelton, a passionate moderate who is not up for any jobs whatsoever. And I live in Los Angeles, California. And we did want to mention that uh, Rebecca Kushmider could not be with us this week. The night that Kristen Cinema was announced the winner of the Arizona Senate race, she went on a, a drinking bender and has not been seen from since. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe she is now partying. I believe she's in Paris. Oh, my gosh. Uh, celebrating.
3: The, the text from her that just said, Greg, you were wrong. Greg, you were wrong. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. It's it's really, I would like to say humbling, but really uh, quite terrible. And I have to say this right now. Rebecca. I was wrong.
1: Wait a second, wait a second. I was wrong too. I don't know why she only picked on you. I thought that cinema was out of it also. Oh, so
3: did oh yeah, yeah. It's 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 easy. So yes. Yes, she was right about this one thing, and she was wrong completely about the order of the best Harry Potter books, which she's <laughs> talking about. Um I don't know how she calls herself a literati. But yes, she got this thing right. Cinema won, and it's awesome, and we're very happy to have you know, such a great future senator or senator elect as Kristen Cinema. I'm happy about it. I'm happy to be wrong, but and I think I think I pronounced it wrong. I think it's Kirsten. Uh,
1: it's it? very difficult with all the Kirstens in the Senate. I, I keep calling them Kristen and I apologize to all of them.
3: Uh, that's why I just say Senator Elect Cinema.
1: <laughs> you know who else was wrong about some election predictions? Or good old-fashioned President Trump, who said Mia Love, was dead in the water. And apparently she's now leading in a close race for the House, right, DJ?
2: Yes, she is ahead by about 400 votes. There's still some counting to be done in her opponent's uh, home base, and there's still some counting to be done in her home base. So we're not really sure who has won or who has lost, uh, but it is just, yes, an- another reminder that Donald Trump just really doesn't know what the fuck he's talking
3: about. Uh, and that's the one that he said, "Mia Love has no love, showed me no love," and she's a Republican for goodness' yeah, sake. Yeah. yeah, so
1: not only did he have a bad night with Democrats winning, he had a bad night with Republicans winning. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. she <laughs> was.
1: Stacey Abrams, of course, has now conceded her uh, defeat at the hands of um, Brian, Kemp Brian Kemp in in, in, in yep. excuse me in Georgia. Georgia. I saw her on the on a news program this morning, and she's still pretty fired up about this election. She refuses to use the word legitimate. She says he is definitely the legally elected governor-elect of Georgia, but she will not use the word legitimate because of what she believes is rampant voter
2: disenfranchisement. I know she is very serious about this, and she ran a very good campaign. She had an uphill battle, and her opponent- as I put it once, was all thumbs, and he put all his thumbs on the scale. <laughs> <laughs> However, it should be noted that Brian Kemp's old job, Secretary of State for the state of Georgia, where all the shenanigans can take place, that race has gone to a runoff on the 4th of December. So Ms. Abrams can actually be very helpful in her, in her own home state if she is willing to put her put her support and her machine, such as it is, to help her fellow Democrat, John Barrow, get elected Secretary of State for Georgia, because I would humbly submit that a Democratic Secretary of State in Georgia can make a very big difference in the makeup of that electorate in 2020 and in 2022 and possibly beyond.
3: Right. I think a lot of people kind of lose sight of the smaller rate. And when I say smaller races, but the not so sexy races like secretary of state, which are so important. We get the, the majority of people get caught up on these senator races and governor races, and of course, president races, and they lose sight of, you know, the inner working races like secretary of state or attorney general and stuff like that. And it's Attorney, state attorneys general. Um, and they're really, really important because they're the ones that kind of determine how these things work. And it's really important that we still go out and vote and support financially and volunteer and all these things. So don't give up.
1: You know what I wanted to talk with you guys about today? Well, you can't because you're as good as you are, you're not mind readers. <laughs> I wanted to talk about the bigger issue of our election process across the nation, which I think everybody who's followed the news for the last two weeks realizes is fundamentally messed up. And I'd like to make an analogy. You guys will well remember, uh, you know, we weren't born yet, but we know of it. The days in, in Major League Baseball when there were no electronic scoreboards. The scoreboards were actually run by hand Uh, either a man would be behind the board and drop in a slide with the number of runs on it every time a new run happened, or, uh, they would hang it up and they had a guy on a ladder actually hanging them up. Imagine if you had to take that scoreboard and try to use it to score an NBA game. Imagine how crazed everything would be when the score was changing every, you know, 10 seconds. They, they, back then, they didn't conceive of things like 15 runs in in an inning. There was no way to count 15 runs in an inning or 10 runs or 11 runs in an inning. They didn't conceive of extra inning games beyond the 10th inning, and they had to make do by using the one as the 11th inning and the two as the 12th inning. I analogize that to our electoral process today. We are using a 20th century process to try to count votes in a 21st century electoral system. And it just doesn't work anymore. So do you guys have any ideas for how to improve things?
2: I'll be honest, Kevin. I'm actually going to go in a different direction than you are uh, because I'm, of course, the one who follows international politics with a very, as a very strange addiction of mine. Uh, but I will note that in the United Kingdom, for example, they do, not do they do not use electronics for their voting at all. All the ballots are paper ballots. They're all counted by hand. And they are all announced by a recording officer on election night or, in some cases, the morning after, depending upon recounts or various things. Uh, and, in fact, they still manage to get results in within 12 to 16 hours of the polls closing. And that includes, post, that includes postal votes. They don't use technology. They stick with the old ways. And, frankly, it is difficult to hack paper.
3: Yeah, but the population in most of those countries are what uh, um uh, eighth England is just
1: topping 55 million, okay? And that's a larger uh European nation. Right? It is. So, good point, but does it really work in a 330 million population country?
2: It can, depending upon how you on how you divide it up. Great Britain has 55 million as 55 to 60 million people. They have 380 local areas for reporting, 650 parliamentary constituencies. The United States of America is divvied up into counties and localities and precincts. You can divvy it up in a way that you can get reportings from precincts or from cities or from parts of cities. I would say fairly quickly. You don't necessarily. Again, you know, technology is hackable. when most people think about the cons- about the problems with elections. They don't think about the fact that there is not enough technology. I think most Americans, when they're concerned about elections, they're concerned about too much technology that is the, at the risk of being hacked by someone from the outside. I think most Americans would actually be happier if we went with a more, a, with a paper ballot structure that could not be hacked where they knew their vote would actually be counted properly. And again, no one is saying that vote totals have been changed in any hack. That hasn't happened yet. But the fact of the matter is, the the assumption that technology always makes things better, I'm not necessarily going to buy it.
3: All right. See, I'll go the exact opposite. So I have an app on my phone to pay bills. And so I can go buy a coffee or whatnot with a fingerprint, fingerprint scanner on my phone. Okay. And my bank takes it and I can do all sorts of fabulous things. And I know it can be hacked. Sure. But at the same point... When are they going to accept fingerprint scans as ID? I'm not sure I want T Mobile involved
1: in counting our votes.
3: How did you know I had <laughs> T Mobile?
1: That's 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 really scary.
3: But no, it should
1: be. No, I was only joking. I actually like your
2: idea.
3: I think it's I think it's a great idea, and the more people who vote, the better.
2: Oh, of course. Of, of course. Of course.
3: The issue here is
2: given that. Can you name a single major indus, major consumer based industry that has not suffered a data hack over the last five years? I
3: can't no, no of course not exactly
2: I... you can't so now you're essentially saying you want you want all the information that comes with voting you want all of that to be just at just as risk of being in fact in fact in some cases the Russians have actually gotten into voter registration records. Are you really saying you want to make it easier for them to succeed in where they may have failed before in terms of hacking voting and such? Because that's what you're talking about. You know what
1: I'd like to see happen, and I know this isn't going to happen because the states' rights advocates, in in my opinion, and DJ, I know that you're one of them, so I, I don't mean to insult you, but I think states' rights people are a little hysterical about the power of states or the sovereignty of states.
3: Oh, yeah. They're the worst.
1: I would like to see <laughs> federal elections. That's elections for president, vice president, the House, and the Senate. I would like to see federal elections- Given to the federal government to oversee on some level, not to totally regulate them, but to establish a set of standards that states need to apply in their states to their elections for federal office. I would like to see a bipartisan commission come up with some best practices that could lead to legislation that the Congress adopts and a president signs, whether it's this president or a future president. That would again set some national standards. And yes, it would only be at this point for federal elections, but if they were good best practices, hopefully those would start to spill down into state and local elections as well. DJ, what do you think? Do I have anything there?
2: Yeah, actually you do. I, 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 th- I think that, I think that could be useful. The notion that states should run their elections according to a certain national standard that's that is not something that i would have a problem with so long as the states themselves were still organizing and running the elections right that's fine but yes tell them hey look if you you know yes you can run the elections in your state but when you do so you better make sure xyz and pdq happen you know to some extent that that's largely just you know one could argue that's just implement continuing implementation of what the of what the 39th Congress had in mind when they passed the 14th Amendment. So yeah, I'm perfectly fine with that. Greg, what do you think?
3: I agree completely. There should be minimal points that the federal government should take on voting, without a doubt. And I say minimal, and some states should take even more steps as far as voting protection. Well, who's that woman in Mississippi
1: who said maybe we should stop some of these liberal
2: schools from allowing people to vote? Uh, maybe that's one of the steps we should take. <laughs> that's the U- that's the U- that's the U.S. senator who's going into the runoff, and of course Trump is showing up at a rally for him.
3: Uh, of course,
2: but actually, gr- what one thing that Greg is talking about is what he's referring what i what i what he is referring to, even if he doesn't realize it, is the section he realizes it like, <laughs> is the section of the Voting Rights Act that the Supreme Court got rid of in 2013. I am, as <laughs> a matter of yeah, fact, which, thank okay, you. There we go. Um, <laughs> but that actually is up to that's a matter that should be a matter. It is a matter. Uh, for Congress, Congress, and one thing I would I might like to see out of the new House of Representatives is essentially that says, okay, this section was invalidated by the court because they said, you know, you can't use 1968 standards. Fine, we'll use 2018 standards. Exactly,
3: exactly.
2: Uh, for for what gent for what is acceptable elections that that's perfectly fine, and I'd love to see the new House do that.
1: Now while I'm on my soapbox this week and by the way I should tell you guys I got a new electric soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> It actually raises and lowers. Do you remember the um, the SNL sketch from the 1988 presidential debate where Michael Dukakis was at his podium? Yes. And before he started speaking, it sort of kind of got – it moved up. It, one of the great side gags of SNL all did time.
3: You, did you write that one, by the way?
1: No, I wasn't there at that time. Uh, Jim Downey wrote that sketch, one of the, the all-time great uh, SNL writers. That was a good one. Yes, that was a good that one, was by good. the way. Yeah. Well, I I actually uh, I have that soapbox now. It goes <laughs> up and down when I, I need to to proclaim something. So I'm going to use it right now. Let me let me just kick it into high gear. Hold on. <laughs> okay, there I am. <laughs>
0: um,
1: <laughs> well, we're amusing ourselves if nobody else. <laughs> Okay, so before we we started the podcast uh, this morning, Greg and I were on the the phone. We were waiting for DJ to join us, and we were talking about possibly you know his family moving someplace outside of Ohio someday. I was telling him how I have this this long term desire to move out of California, not because there's anything wrong with California, just because I've spent pretty much all of my adult life here, and same I just for, want to try new things, right. you know, new experiences. Um, and we were comparing some cities that we had discussed with our significant others, but we both noted that we won't consider any city in a red state or, or particularly a red city, uh, because we, we would feel like outcasts there and it's hard enough to be, <laughs> to live in, in Los Angeles, let alone living in a place where I have nothing in common with people. And that led me to a kind of a new theory or a new a uh, proposal i would like to make i think we need a cultural big bang in this country where people like me who live in these heavily populated urban districts that voted so strongly for democrats in 2018 and who mostly supported hillary clinton in 2016 and for that matter usually support democratic candidates you know the living situation in a lot of these cities, it's been cluttered. Traffic is just not livable anymore. Prices for, for everything from, from homes to, to apartment rentals to restaurants to, you know, private schools, everything is through the roof. And there's probably millions of people like Greg and I and DJ, maybe you're a part of this as well, who are thinking it's time to get out of this hyper-metropolitan lifestyle and live a little bit more modestly in another place. Well, I think we need a cultural big boom that gets people like me into red states because then they start to turn purple and some may even eventually start to lean blue. DJ, didn't that happen in Virginia at some point?
2: Yes and no. No. Virginia, I mean, there was a continued suburban expansion, Northern Virginia in particular, as the f- one argument that Republicans use is that as the federal government grew bigger and Northern Virginia became more dependent upon the federal government, it became more democratic. Um, I'm not necessarily sure I'd buy that. But didn't some of it have to do with
1: migration? I know that uh, you know Atlanta has become uh, more of a blue city in an otherwise red state. Because of migration,
2: I I would not say that. I think, I think, I think in that case migration is overblown. In fact, there was an exit poll for the for the Texas race, for the Texas Senate race, that actually showed native Texans preferred Beto O'Rourke to Ted Cruz. It was migrants from outside Texas who got Ted Cruz elected last week. So I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure the the the. That's the sound of the soapbox going down. But no, I think I think the the bigger story of 2008, frankly, was suburban voters in particular, suburban independents and even some moderate suburban Republicans who simply said threw up their hands and said, I'm not going to have anything to do with this anymore. Uh, in fact, if you look at you know suburban districts, even in red states, uh, Dallas, Texas, Fort Worth, Texas, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, Gwinnett County, Georgia, which is a suburb of Atlanta. um, Chesterfield County, Virginia, Virginia Beach, Virginia. Virginia Beach is a city, but it, it it acts like a suburb.
1: Yeah, but these are what they call secondary cities. They're not like New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco. No, no, no. They're, they're, no I, I, and I agree. Now.
2: I agree. Like I said, they, they are where they are. They are, they may be sit well. Dallas and Dallas is is a rather large city. Dallas, I would call a front rank city.
1: But I, I, okay, I, so I want to get back to my central premise. You don't think there's anything to the idea of maybe dispersing some of these culturally left leaning people who tend to vote blue but also to to disperse culturally you know everybody talks about how are we going to re- reach rural voters what are we going to do about these people outside of the cities well one way to engage them is to live among them
3: greg yeah you know there there is but i've always thought it's it's we don't have to send mass groups of people. We don't. I I, I don't caravans. Think right. I think caravans of liberals is Where, what I'm suggesting. I don't even think we have to send caravans of liberals. <laughs> that's 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 not how how we do. It. I've always thought it was to through cultural educations through um through meeting different people. That's how you turn people to a, a more liberal to a more center groups. Like oh, I've never met a liberal. Wow, you actually seem um through arts education. And I, I work in a pretty red district, but it's funny how all the parents of music students are like, "Oh, I get this. My my students are in, involved in the arts; they're better students." Um, now I'm socially blue. I get I understand the value of arts education. I'm voting this way. One of the things I always loved about the Kennedy administration is that they always had the strong affinity of bringing in artists. So like Pablo Casals was a frequent guest and they always had these wonderful arts things and they were known for that. And you saw that through different administrations. Like arts were really important. And even through, um, of course, the Obama administration in the Hamilton concerts and Esmeralda Spaulding and they always had a lot of ones. But you don't see that now. You're not hearing it. Maybe it's the media's fault. Maybe Trump is having these fabulous, wonderful arts experiences that we're not understanding or hearing. And we're it's depriving the country of understanding culture. And it's turning the country more red. And I believe that um, as an arts educator or something like that. And I think that turns the country red. When you talk about cultural Big Bang... Literally, that's your culture. That's the big bang. So don't send out everybody. Don't send out artists, send out educators, send out a couple people among and they will lead. I'm sorry, but what the hell is wrong with you people? All right. I, I have, I have lived,
2: I have lived in an actual state that
3: has <laughs> wait. Gone is it worse than we food. think, DJ? Is it worse than we think?
2: No, it's not worse than you think. So that, so there's at least that. But the fact <laughs> of the matter is when. What the Democratic Party has done in Virginia to make itself the lead party in the state is reach out to voters that the Republicans have ignored and rejected and court them and win them over. You don't need to sprinkle a bunch of Californians into the mix for that to work. You simply need to take a look at what's happening in your state and go, hmm, who are the Republicans shitting on, basically? Those are people that who we can think can vote for us. Let's go get them.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> the More Perfect Union, featuring Greg Vatuzak being
2: wrong about Christ <laughs> cinema. Now heard on iTunes and Stitcher.
1: Well, let's see what else is in the news that we wanted to talk about this week. Jim Acosta cannonballs into the press pool thanks to a judge's ruling that he cannot be prohibited from covering the white house greg i know that you threw a, a cocktail party in his honor i believe right after that announcement
3: i did i'm so excited about this this is not only a victory for jim acosta <laughs> this is not only a victory for cnn but this is a victory for all white house press i heard rebecca is actually now going to try to get her white house press <laughs> credentials i mean she, she feels- just wants to be unblocked by uh you know
1: potus uh at you know Hashtag the real Donald Trump or whatever she, it is.
3: She's jumping over that. She's just like <laughs> she's like me and Jimba she's she's still she's still like drunk on all those margaritas for the uh <laughs> Kristen Cine- uh Senator Alex Cinema. Um <laughs> hey, once again, I'm not gonna make your mistake. She's like me and Jimba Costa are gonna be like seat buddies. <laughs> Um, she's like really excited. Um, but it's, it is, um, the whole ruling, first of all, the White House was a dumpster fire at the trial because they couldn't even, it, couldn't even tell the judge whose initial idea it was to, to ban Jim Acosta, which was fabulous. But on top of that, you know, access to the, uh, press, you know, to the White House was actually barring him. This is wonderful. And, I, hopefully, this will kind of uh, ramp down the rhetoric of, you know, the enemy of the people, and hopefully, we'll see this. Nope. he's, he's already,
2: he already called him the enemy. He already called the New York. He already called the New York Times the enemy of the people again over the weekend. So really,
3: and <laughs> wait, there's I did two
1: enemies of the people. I didn't realize that. No, yeah. it's just
2: it's just it's just in it, you know, the the press <laughs> is the enemy of the people. The New York Times is the enemy of the people. Division one or something. I don't know. I I I, <laughs> I I I I don't know how Trump, how Trump organizes how organizes the sub enemies of the people. You'll have to ask him.
3: The, this sub bullet <laughs> this points. I, I know Sarah Sanders did a thing on Fox about how freedom of the press does not mean freedom to be rude. Um, which yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> i know it doesn't mean you can yell f- like fire in a in a crowded it, you know I'm I'm, I'm
2: I'm gonna interrupt greg again sure my Go apologies ahead. greg but the fact of the matter is this entire <laughs> doug mataconis who's a wonderful blogger from Fauquier county virginia came up with this before i did but the entire trump administration it's just like the godfather but everybody is fredo i can you- handle things i'm smart not like everybody says, like, dumb, I'm smart, I want respect. Uh,
3: <laughs> that's, that's the second time in a week, second week in a row in you've weeks. done your Fredo. Yeah, <laughs> impression. I, I really think you're trying to date Meryl Streep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what else? Okay,
1: so Melania Trump has also been quite active, more so than than most first ladies. By apparently forcing out the deputy national security advisor for some catfight they had over her trip to
2: Africa a couple of months ago, what was that all about? Oh yeah, this is this is the this is exactly what we want to show that we are a, that we have a Republican form of government and not R <laughs> and not some not some third world banana republic where you know the wife of the president gets to act like Marie Antoinette. Oy vey, <laughs> Maria. Yeah. I just yeah. you know ugh.
3: Yeah, you know, I I really don't like talking ill of the first lady. I mean, that's not my bag. And I'm sure someone's gonna dig up an old uh <laughs> old podcast where I just trash her completely. But I really don't. I think I see a giant butt coming in neon red flashing lights. <laughs> this is a McDonald's
2: Christmas cup size
3: butt. Mm -mm. In 92, when uh, Bill Clinton asked Hillary Clinton to be on the healthcare committee, right? I believe she ran it, but go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. She ran it. And everyone shit themselves because they were like, no, 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 that's not what first ladies do. First ladies pick out China patterns, but they don't get involved with the business of the White House. They don't do that. And, and they've hated her ever since. I remember these conversations around Thanksgiving while people were yelling at me and telling me I was such a bad human being and stuff like that. <laughs> and, and since then, that was the end of it. But now you literally have a first lady firing, you know, whole, um, <laughs> people who were assisted to John Bolton. I mean, that's crazy talk. Well, now, to be fair- Go ahead. Somebody
1: on this podcast at some point, I guess, needs to be fair to the Trumps. Yeah, go ahead. It goes against every bone in my body. You can be the common sense liberal. Um, Nancy Reagan, uh, the beloved first lady of the Reagan administration, did force Don Reagan
2: out of his job as uh, chief of staff, I believe it was. Isn't that right, DJ? Yeah, she did, but she did so by convincing her by convincing her husband- quietly to get rid of him there were various leaks and things but there was no one who worked for the first lady who went to the press and said don regan should be fired well they didn't have twitter back then <laughs> it's not a matter of it wasn't twitter that the, they they actually the the press well, that's act- true they
1: did they actually released a press statement yeah, and you're right i stand corrected that said,
2: this person should be fired uh, you know, Nancy Nancy Reagan did not
3: do that. So. They
1: didn't say that. They said she doesn't deserve the honor of working in this administration. That's what the press statement
3: said. And and you know what? I'm I'm sure I'm sure some of the Bush wives. I'm sure Michelle Obama probably influenced, and I know influenced, their husbands on certain matters. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. My wife oftentimes tells me things like, um, "Maybe you should use a different microphone," or, um, "You know, <laughs> I think you should disagree with Kevin more." Or um,
2: if I if I ever come anywhere near federal executive power, the country will be immensely relieved to know that my <laughs> wife is my closest advisor. <laughs>
3: Let's be clear, DJ. The closest you'll ever come to executive power is you will be the first lady, um, because I've I've met your wife. She's immensely more qualified than you.
2: I don't dispute uh, that one. No, bit. no. Literally, the, the closest
3: you'll come to ho- putting your hand on that Bible is, "Honey, hold my purse." I- <laughs>
2: Again, I don't dispute this
1: one bit. No. (laughs) Okay. And um, we were talking about uh, significant others. And you know who's having some significant other problems this week? One, Mr. Michael Avenatti. Yeah. Who apparently was arrested in Los Angeles on some form of charges of domestic abuse. Not quite clear, but there's a story behind the story. Greg, you've been following this for us. Uh, Well, let's just call this Conspiracy Corner, the Conspiracy Corner with Greg Matusak. And Greg, tell us what the latest conspiracy theory is about the Michael
3: Avenatti situation. I love a good conspiracy. And... And this one is like a conspiracy wrapped in an enigma, wrapped in a sweater vest (laughs) because I was, I was sitting there minding my own business and I, and my uh, Twitter and my messenger all blew up that Michael Avenatti was arrested. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, this doesn't surprise me. Lawyer. Okay. Bring in the obligatory lawyer jokes. Sure. Um, But, Then it got a little weird because both his wife and his ex-wife were like, I don't know anything about this. It wasn't me. So I was like, okay, sure. Maybe. That was
1: after the news report suggested that he had abused his his ex-wife, correct?
3: Right. Exactly. And they were both like... It's not us, don't know what you're talking about, so maybe it was his you know side piece, I don't know, sure, or some straight. no one knows who this is, and that's fine if this if this woman wants to remain anonymous, that's fine. He's admitting he's saying, I've never done this, I have no idea who this woman is, and this is where it gets weird because ten minutes after he was arrested, our good friends at Surefire Intelligence. Put out this tweet that said. And, and before you do that, remind people who Surefire Intelligence is, what else they were behind. <laughs> Surefire Intelligence was the made up intelligence group that tried to, uh, frame, uh, Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller. Mueller. Gosh, I'm bad with names today. Robert Mueller, and then had this horrible press conference, and it was, uh, uh, Jacob Wool, And it turned out that this. Could be. Uh, You know, I will always side with someone who claims abuse until we find out otherwise. And the police obviously thought there was enough evidence to arrest... Um, a lawyer. So, of course, I'm going to side with someone who, without a doubt. I always believe... Well, it's not so much that you're siding against it, it's
1: that you're not... Dis- what's the word I'm looking Disavowing for? Disavowing, or... You're not disregarding the possibility. Right, that's fair. You're keeping an open mind. You don't know whether it happened. You don't know whether it didn't happen. Right. And then the upshot of it is Michael Avenatti gets pissed off and then
3: what happens? Oh, Michael Avenatti gets pissed off and threatens jacob wall and then jacob wall calls the police on him for making a threat
1: and then goes on to this this website and gloats about the fact that michael
3: avenatti threatened me you see you see what a bad guy he is oh my gosh it is it is like i said conspiracy after conspiracy now this is where what was the what's the guy who uh uh the veritas project uh, James O'Keefe, yeah, that's it. A- James so- O'Keefe. So James O'Keefe yeah. is in himself kind of this horrible human being who tries to find, you know, ignorant and people who are bad at their jobs and at their weakest, and then he re-edits the, the photos to make them look like they're doing things that are He gets illegal. them
1: to make a verbal slip in a long interview, and then he re-edits it to make that slip the focus of the interview.
3: And the worst part is he then puts it out- and then four or five months later, when it re- when we realize this is complete garbage, it's too late. This group has been branded as, you know, doing something terrible or a senator or something like that has been branded. But this thing that Jacob Wall does by going after prominent Democrats before they actually even do anything wrong, and that's a joke in itself, and then setting them up, now that's criminal. But you know who else is doing this? This Isn't just in politics
1: now. Facebook was caught doing it this week in that big expose in the New York Times. Apparently, Sheryl Sandberg or somebody working for her hired a political hit company—a company that does like—they're famous for political hit jobs—to create bad press about people who were protesting Facebook for their privacy inadequacies, and they did it by tying them to George Soros, which was not only factually inaccurate, it's anti Semitism to boot.
2: There 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 really isn't much we can say about that. It's just a it is just a reminder that the first thought to a bad message is to shoot the messenger. And I have been one of the folks who've been tried who've tried very, very hard to prevent the most dynamic part of our economy, which is namely the IT sector from being overregulated and stuff like that makes it a lot harder for me to defend that position. Facebook, when Facebook does something like that, it's, bas- it's, it's, it's almost as if it is screaming to Washington, please regulate me. I can't control myself.
3: Well, all I know is that to guard myself against accusations like this. I, I make sure that I keep really, really good calendars. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> a, a reference to Brett Kavanaugh. And
1: while we're talking about regulations, you know what our uh, beloved president wants to regulate? Tell me. Forests. Oh. Because he seems to feel that forests create potential for forest fires, which creates potential for wildfires, and therefore, forests are a bad thing and should be, I don't know what he thinks should be done. As you guys well know, there are some horrific wildfires still raging in California as we speak. 70 plus people have perished, probably more. Almost a thousand or more are missing, although some of that is probably just poor communications. And an entire town has been wiped out. And many others burned, if not beyond recognition, certainly large portions of Malibu and other cities, Calabasas and Thousand Oaks, have been ravaged by fires in the last two weeks. And the president seems to think this could all have been stopped if we had better deforestation uh, procedures in California. I know nothing about deforestation. Do either of you have any insight into this?
3: Yeah. Actually, he was just talking to uh, a minister from Finland- Okay and they were talking about how in Finland they they uh manage their forests with a uh with a method called raking. Right. Although in a uh, bizarre twist, although maybe not so bizarre
1: because we are talking about one Donald J Trump, the Finnish premier now says that when he met with Trump last week in Europe, the term raking and the concept of raking never came up in their conversation. They did talk about forests and uh forest care. But they never talked about raking. So nobody knows where Trump came up with this concept.
3: And they're like, and we never have these issues.
1: They also have gun control and never have mass
3: shootings. But he doesn't like that analogy. (laughs) He doesn't like that. But once again, (laughs) Finland just had their longest drought ever. And it was 30 days. Okay. California just had – is finishing their longest drought and it's five years. So that's the big difference. And raking – is is ridiculous it's it's it doesn't work in california as not in an area that large no not even an area that large but it's 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 nonsense to think and but this is trump once again remembering the last thing that he heard and saying oh obviously sure i'm an expert now you know
1: i can tell you having seen enough wildfires in los angeles it's not a question of leaves on the ground. I've seen wildfires where that is not the issue. They just happen, and when they happen, they spread like wildfire.
2: And and Finland, you mentioned this about the drought thing, but Finland also has a chunk of itself in the Arctic Circle, so it's not exactly as if you're going to expect for. I mean, I'm sure there have been forest fires in Finland, but it gets a lot colder this time of year in Finland than it does in California. <laughs>
1: Hey, on to happier news. John Hinckley gets to be home for for the holidays. Isn't that a wonderful thing?
3: Actually, he gets to leave home for the holidays. Oh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's
3: right. He he was on house arrest for like a decade or something. Two years. Two
1: years is that all?
3: Yeah. So he, uh, John Hinckley, if if for those youngins who are listening, was uh, the man who, um, unfortunately, and this is terrible, shot. Um, uh, unsuccessfully shot Ronald Reagan in 1981.
1: Well, successfully shot him, just unsuccessfully tried the to kid, kill him.
3: Right, exactly. In 1981 to try and impress Jodie Foster. Which, I've tried to impress Jodie Foster in many ways, and nothing that drastically though. Anyways, he, uh, he left the, uh, mental hospital in 2016, I believe. And he's had to live at his mother's house since then, but on Friday, he got, um, the judge's approval that he can now live on his own. Um, and for the most part, he has no tracking device. He has access to the internet. He has all these other, you know, he's pretty much free. He can get a job, which is kind of difficult for him. He's not allowed to have a Facebook page. He's not allowed to have social media, um, uh, Twitter, Instagram, or anything like that. And the most bizarre part is he's not allowed to look himself up on Google. Well, just remember what that means That means that someplace there is either a server or an
1: actual human being whose full-time job it is is to monitor John Hinckley's social media or lack of social media use.
3: That could be that could very well
1: be so So we are paying a separate human being or some you know fairly sophisticated piece of technology to make sure that he never does this. I don't know why this man is being allowed to integrate with society. Although I guess, you know, hey, it's our laws. First of all, he was found not guilty by reason of insanity. He did serve a very long term in a mental hospital of some sorts. And and now 30 years later, because this was 1981, so it's almost 38 years later, 37 years later, he's being allowed to integrate back into society. And I guess, hey, you shoot somebody, they live. You only, you know, you only do 30 years.
3: I guess that's how it works. But this goes on to the GOP's kind of talking points, that it's not guns, that it's not – and even the Brady Bill was passed after this, that it's not guns, it's mental health. But they are still shooting
1: people first. No one has an idea of how how to improve the mental health system to the point where there are no mentally deranged people. But these are mentally sick people in the eyes of the GOP. Well, they're mentally sick people in everybody's eyes, but the problem is, as I'm sure you will agree, they have access to guns. Right.
3: So this is a good test case to see how – What's the test case? What's the test? How will John Hinckley uh, do outside and how will the GOP react – to someone who actually shot their beloved Ra- Saint Reagan, but I'm know. not, I'm not,
1: I'm not beating up on you. I'm just kind of playing my devil's advocate role here. But, but even if John Hinckley lives a saintly life fr- from now until he's no longer on this planet, it proves nothing because first you have to identify someone who is such a danger to society that you could put them in an institution for
3: 25 years to cure them. That's not a realistic solution to anything. But that's also the point. The GOP isn't putting money into mental health of course to begin not. with. Well, of course not. But this is the end result. You shoot someone, especially someone you know, vastly important. You wait your time. You get out. And and finally, the uh, uh, even crazier than the idea of shooting a president
1: to impress an actress or letting an assassin out of jail because he's now cured. Even crazier than that. Would be hiring Condoleezza Rice for the new job of the Cleveland Browns head coach.
3: Yes, which apparently has been floated someplace. It's the Cleveland Browns are actually talking about, it and they're supposedly in talks. And supposedly she's a huge football fan. She's been talking about wanting to be the uh, commissioner for the NFL. But this is not that crazy because the Cleveland Browns have been torturing their fans for years. <laughs> The Browns are are really you know, we have a saying in Ohio that we're really lucky in Ohio to have two professional football teams, the Bengals and Ohio State. Um
2: (laughs) never heard that. (laughs) I
1: must say I enjoyed
3: that. I've heard that's an old joke, so I don't get I don't get much credit for that one. But but okay, but she's a big fan. Let's say she's the biggest fan. There's a lot of
1: you know, very knowledgeable football fans, that doesn't mean that they're head coach material. I don't understand. I could see her being the commissioner of the n f l that makes sense to me much more uh, so than than roger goodell but um but her being a head coach, how does that happen? No,
3: I think it's I think this is more a publicity stunt than anything. Oh, then make her the center. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. I tuned in for that. I, I just – the only thing is, I, this just seems like a really bad 80s movie, you know, where, you know, we got to shake up the team, you know, who we, who we going to bring in, you know, um, <laughs> like Scott Bakula is going to be brought in or something. <laughs> you know, Scott Bakula is going to be brought in as the new quarterback for the Cleveland Browns with Condoleezza Rice – this will never work. And, no, and the you've last got it play. all wrong,
1: Greg. Scott Bakula should be the next National Security Advisor.
3: Oh, right. They switched jobs. Yes, and and, and the last play of the game is going to be uh, you know someone's they're going to have like a, a switch at the end, and and they're going they're going somehow hide the ball in their jersey, and they'll be like, "What? A totally illegal play, but it works." <laughs> Replacing
2: John Bolton with Scott Bakula would be a quantum leap forward for this country. Oh, by the way, by the way, also more news. Uh, Condoleezza Rice has apparently turned down the opportunity to interview with them. She says she is not ready to coach, but she would like to call a play or two next season if the Browns need ideas. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a bummer. It's sort of like uh, George Plimpton and Paper Tiger. So she's
1: oh, going to just yeah, stand yeah. on the yes. sidelines and and whisper plays to the Something to like whoever's the yes. head coach. Yep. And with yeah. that, we want to thank everybody for listening to the More Perfect Union podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at hashtag MPU podcast and on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. And if you would be kind enough, please share our link on your Facebook timeline so your friends can discover us as well. And if you like talking politics as much as we do and would like to join our political debate between shows. Please join us in the Facebook group that we're all members of, Open Fire Politics. We're all there almost every day, and we would love to see you there, too. Greg, what job would you be perfect for if you weren't a teacher, a musician, and the host of the More Perfect Union podcast?
3: Probably the perfect job I would have is an organizer who would get people to send as many emails to Rebecca. That would say how much they love (laughs) Goblet of Fire and how wrong she is. So if you're out there and you think that Rebecca is completely wrong, please send your emails about how much she is wrong about how Goblet of Fire is the best Harry Potter book.
1: And I would travel the country selling electronic (laughs) soapboxes.
3: Nice. You're looking taller already, sir. (laughs)